Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. So when I was in the eighth grade, I ran cross country. Uh, I was just a little wiry guy. I was about four foot eight, uh, about 60 pounds. And uh, uh, the coach was looking, I know I was just a little guy. Uh, coach was looking for uh, events that he thought I would do well in. And, and uh, about that time, there was, there was a new race that was being introduced uh, in track and field uh, called the walk race. Have you ever, have any of you seen that? Uh, yeah, my mother had a very uh, colorful description of what she thought they looked like as they were walking around. Uh, but that's another story. Uh, but anyway, the idea of the walk race is one foot can't, the front foot has to be planted before the back foot can be lifted up. And it's a very technical race. And, 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 you're, and so anyway, the coach taught me the basic steps. And he says, okay, I'm putting you in. Um, and I'll never forget the first regional meet that, uh, that I was involved in. Uh, of course, the gun goes off and, and, and people just left me in the dust. And, but I was just, I was walking as fast as I could. And uh, there were people that were, there were a few people behind me. I wasn't the last in the, in the line. Uh, but the, the majority of the crowd took off uh, and left me in the dust. And, uh, and, and so about uh, three quarters into the race, um, I, I was ready to give up. So I, I, just, started, I just started walking. Uh, toward the, I didn't know what, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that I was going to finish. And, and about that time, I, I heard all this uh, ruckus and the judges, the, the judges, they run alongside of the walkers. Uh, they came up to me and people are, are, are yelling and they're cheering and they're saying, keep going, keep going. You're in third place. How could I be in third place? Because all these other runners got disqualified. And, and, so, and so it's like, well, okay, okay. So, you know, I picked up my pace and I crossed the finish line. I took third. I was astounded. And, and you know what I realized at that point is that uh, finishing the race is, is just as important, if not uh, more important, than winning the race. And sometimes you win the race with yourself just by finishing well. And I think that's the argument that the author of Hebrews is trying to make uh, in this 11th and 12th chapter. If you have your Bibles, open them up, uh, if you would, to the 12th chapter of Hebrews. Uh, last week, I, uh, we went through this hall of faith, looked at all these people that did uh, incredible things, and I, and I stressed it last week and in the prayer today, ordinary people doing extraordinary things through their faithfulness. What a, what a perfect song, uh, uh, Kim, to sing for us this morning. May those who come behind us find us faithful, that, 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 we, have, that we have finished. Uh, in, its, in, in finishing this race, people, we win. And we have this great cloud of witnesses. In fact, that's the lead-in to the 12th chapter. 
Yeah, it was John Mosier, I'm going to tell you. It was John Mosier who suggested last week that I just read the names of the people in the 11th chapter, close the Bible, say, go home and read about them. We'll talk about them next week. So anyway, I don't mean to throw you under the bus there, my friend, but I know you can handle it. Uh, so anyway, <clears throat> you can throw me under another time. So 12th chapter, therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, think chapter 11, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful people so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, my daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son or daughter. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son or daughter is not disciplined by his or her father? And if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons and daughters. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our Father disciplined us for a little while, while our, our, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your, your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all people and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is like godless Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance, his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could not bring about, he could bring about no change uh, of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. 
a powerful passage for us to digest this morning and to, and to work our way through, starting with this, with this great cloud of witnesses. And those are the people that we talked about and that we looked, about, looked at last week and the incredible things that they went through, the challenges that they faced. And if you'll remember, none of them saw the promises. They didn't see it. They persevered because of the promises that were given because of the one who gave the promises. They trusted, they believed, and it was reckoned unto them as righteousness. And we, through Jesus Christ, have received a better righteousness, a better promise, a better hope. We now see clearly what they only saw dimly. And even what we see clearly today is dim with regard to what we will ultimately see. But they pressed on. They persevered. And so the author says, we have this, this great cloud of witnesses that is surrounding us. And what do we make of that? Well, I, I think it's twofold. Uh, uh, some people like to think of it, in, in, again, go back to your track and field days for those of you that ran track, uh, and, and you're in the stadium, and the people that are there in the stadium are encouraging you on. Uh, they're, they're witnessing uh, your acts, your running of that race, and they're cheering you on. And there's a sense in which certainly we can look at the heroes of the faith from this 11th chapter and down through history, by the way. The heroes of the faith didn't stop uh, in the 11th chapter of Hebrews by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but uh, we, we can see them as in the stands of eternity, uh, encouraging us, don't lose hope, press on, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. You can do it, you can do it. Others ahead of you are being disqualified. Finish the race, finish the race. So there's a sense in which being surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, they are encouraging us, rallying uh, uh, to support us as we persevere in this race that is laid out for us. But not only that, they also serve uh, as an example to us. We, we look to them and what they did, and we can say to ourselves, they did it, they persevered, so can I. You know, as a, as a kid, uh, uh, I had pictures uh, in, I was, a, I was a hockey fan when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I, I played a little ice hockey. And uh, uh, the pictures on my wall were of uh, great, the great legends, today they're legends, Gordie Howe, uh, the Esposito brothers, Bobby Orr, Dave the Hammer Schultz. I mean, those are the guys that I looked up to. And I watched how they played, and, and, I, and, and I wanted to emulate them uh, as best I could when, when, when I was engaging in the, uh, in, the, in the contest. Well, for us, we need to have heroes on the walls of our minds. And that's what the author of Hebrews has given us in this 11th chapter. The, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, people who have stood up and, and, and took whatever was thrown at them. And sometimes they were successful, sometimes they were not, but they never lost faith. The righteous live not by sight, but by faith. 
And that's what we read here, the encouragement that we have to let us run with perseverance, this race that is marked out for us. And we have that race. It is the human race. And, 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 and we're, we're running this race. And you know what? These are the rules for that race. Not, not so much rules, but guidelines to enable us to thrive. When we step outside of, of, of the rules that God has for us, we suffer the consequences. God wants us to thrive. He is our maker, created in his image. He understands the human being better than anyone, anyone alive. And he says, you know, if you do this, you will thrive. That's the race that has been, been laid out before us. And then, and then the author goes on, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the ultimate. And that's been the argument of the writer of Hebrews from the very, very beginning, that Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He's the one who blazed that trail through the curtain that brings us into the very presence of God. And we now enter in, not because of what we have done, but what he has done. Fully God, fully human. I'm convinced that when Jesus was here on earth during his earthly ministry, everything he did, all the miracles, everything he did in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that power is available to us. Well, how come we don't see it? Well, do we really lean on it that much? Or, or do, we, do we hedge our bets? Uh, do we second guess? And that, that was the story uh, uh, from the book Heavenly Man. Uh, by Brother Yoon, the church in China, when the West finally arrived, the stuff that they were seeing happening in China was right out of the book of Acts. And the, and the Western Christians were blown away. And they, wow, I wonder why we don't see this in the West. And, and with great humility, the Chinese Christians said, well, you know, here all we have is faith. In the West, you guys have insurance on everything. And, and, and that's not a bid to cancel your insurance policies, but it, it, does, it does make one think. Uh, but to keep our eyes focused on Jesus as the author and the perfecter of our faith, he has finished the race and he has shown us the way and he has given us the Holy Spirit so that we are not discouraged, but that we might press on as well. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The, 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 the cross was one of the most brutal and humiliating forms of capital punishment ever to be devised. The, the, the intent uh, of the Romans was not only to humiliate you and to eliminate you, but also to communicate to you that you had no value. You were worthless. And as a deterrent for anyone else that might think that causing trouble against the Roman government might be a good thing, not a good thing. He endured that for the joy set before him what, is, what, what possible joy could be set before him uh, that, would, that would push him to endure 
such an ordeal. Look around you, folks. Look around you. This, we are the joy that is set before him, knowing that because of the work that he did, redemption would be available. Forgiveness would be available. The pronouncement of righteousness would be declared. Oh, that's why he did it. That's why he did it, and he pressed on. So do not, do not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons and daughters? My, my, my son, my daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son or a daughter. Endure hardship as discipline. You know, and I, I, I wrestled with that a little bit because I don't think that God punishes us anymore. I think God disciplines us. But the punishment all fell upon Jesus on the cross. I'm not going to argue with the author of Hebrews here, but I want to note that the author of Hebrews is using an Old Testament passage to address people who are thinking about walking away from the New Testament covenant and returning to the Old Covenant. So there's a differentiation there. But then it comes down to this whole discipline thing and and that that God is at work disciplining us. And and discipline is a very real thing. In the 15th chapter of John, uh, uh, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. You are the branches. And my father is the vine dresser. And what does he do? He prunes. And, and uh, you know, the pruning of the vines produces greater fruit. But if you're the branch and you're getting pruned, well, th- that might not be real comfortable. And so when we, when we encounter hardships uh, in this world, how do we respond to it? How do we deal with the difficulties that, that, that we face? And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, I, I feel like I'm being hammered by the world around me. Now, if you, you can take a step back, and this would be a whole other conversation because I absolutely believe with all my heart in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God is sovereign over everything that happens. Now, that raises all kinds of questions about what God allows, what God permits, what God causes. I, I get that. I understand that. I also know and understand that there's evil in the world. So when something happens to me, when, when I find myself in a difficult situation, I've got I've to I've ask myself some serious questions. Today, the most popular question to ask if you find yourself going through a hardship or a difficulty is, why me? Why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. I don't deserve this. In fact, there was a book that was written a couple decades ago now uh, called Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? I mean, probably many of you have read that book. The premise of that book is that bad things happen to good people because God is not sovereign. I mean, that's his bottom line. And I want to reject that. No, no, no. God is sovereign, but we live in a broken world. 
Now, having said that, I do believe that sometimes there are things that happen in our lives that God is bringing into our lives to form and to shape us. Remember that we are redeemed, but now we are in a season of restoration as we become more and more like Christ. There's work to be done. We're still a little rough around the edges. And it's hard for us sometimes to step back in the midst of, of everything going on and, and ask the question, not, why me, Lord? Why are you doing this to me? But to say, Lord, what, what are you trying to teach me through this? Uh, what do I need to learn about you or about myself as I go through this difficult time in my life? Are you disciplining me in order to shape and refine and restore my character? My friend Katie, where's Katie? There she is. Uh, Katie, is a, Katie is an artist. Uh, and if you've ever been to, ever been to her home, you, you, there's, she's got pieces that are displayed. I mean, she, she did these things here on the wall the, and the whole bride's room, and she's the faith, hope, and love signs that we have up. The greatest of these is love. Katie did all that. Um, and uh, went over there to her, to her house one day, and, uh, and she pulled out a bag of tiles, and she says, I, I need your help. Everybody that's coming over to my house right now, I need them to break up tiles. I'm going to make a mosaic. And, and, and I want you to be able to say, once the mosaic is finished, that you had a part in it. Well, my part was taking a hammer to a piece of tile and breaking it up into a bunch of pieces. And then she took those pieces, all these different colored uh, uh, tiles, uh, that, that she had people over a period, I don't know, months, uh, weeks, months, breaking these little pieces of tile. And then she took those pieces of tile and, and, and cemented it into a beautiful mosaic. And, and, that, and that mosaic now is in their backyard uh, behind, uh, behind Rick's uh, smoker barbecue pit. And, it, and, and it's just, it, it's absolutely lovely. I had a part in that with that hammer. And, and I, was, I was thinking about being disciplined and trying to understand why the things are happening to me. And, 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 and this image of the mosaic came to me. That sometimes the hammering that I feel when I undergo uh, adversity in my life is, is God shaping me, shaping my life so that I can fit into a mosaic that he is fashioning. I'm not going to see that mosaic until my race is finished. Now, let me, let me take a step back and, and say, I also recognize that there is an enemy out there that also throws stuff in our way to make us stumble and bumble and fall and look foolish. And I can sit there and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I've got to decide now. Is this difficulty of the Lord or is this of the enemy? And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, people, it just doesn't matter. Because my response to either one is what's going to carry and win the day. 
has been said that life is uh, 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to that. So it doesn't matter. If, if the adversity that I face is, is, is coming from God, then I, I, I want to I meet that challenge with everything that I've got so that I can successfully move forward. And, and if, it's from the, if it's from the enemy... I just don't want to let the enemy win. So I'm going to treat both the same and hopefully through it all give God the glory. I may not understand it in a minute. But that goes to the saying by uh, Soren Kierkegaard. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. We don't understand the adversity that we're going through in the moment, but the day will come when we'll understand. Now we see in part, the day will come when we see clearly. Endure discipline. Uh, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son or daughter is not disciplined by his or her father. Let me just take a step back here uh, and, and, and recognize and acknowledge that not everybody had Ward Cleaver as a father. Everybody here know who Ward Cleaver is? Leave it to Beaver. Uh, father knows best. Uh, I, I recognize, I, I recognize that. And there's been, uh, when, I, when I was going through seminary, much was being made of the father imagery of Jesus because of some uh, shortcomings of some earthly fathers. I mean, my father came home, uh, three sheets to the wind, busted the furniture, slapped us around, and then passed out in the chair. And you're telling me that God is a cosmic father? I don't want anything to do with that. My father was bad. If you're saying God is a father, I reject that. That's ridiculous. We know that our earthly fathers fall short because we have a concept in our minds of that which is good. And I reject, I reject the teaching that says that I need to understand my heavenly father in light of my earthly father. I want to measure my earthly father against my heavenly father. Because my heavenly father ultimately disciplines me for my own good. And that's what's going on here. That's what the author here is, is talking about. God disciplines us for our own good that we may share in his holiness uh, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And then he, the author goes on, make every effort, every effort to be at peace with all people. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The bitterness that can enter into our hearts and souls can destroy us. And that bitterness is fostered when we ask the question, why me? Why is this happening to me? Now, I got to tell you, and I, I, we're, we're getting communion's a lot shorter than it used to be when we passed around. Uh, so I'm watching the time. I want you to, I'm watching the time. I got to tell you, I was, I was really, really discouraged uh, when, when my right leg, I mean, it just, it blew up like a balloon and I was, I was diagnosed as having blood clots in my leg. I was, I was discouraged, uh, but as I worked my way through it 
uh, you know, did, did everything and, and, and taken the medication and, and, and waiting for it to be gone and are still there. Um, I'm told that I'm going to be on blood thinners for at least a year, maybe uh, for the rest of my life. Uh, I'm reading that sometimes blood clots go away, sometimes they don't. And so my prayer has become, Lord, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to be, there's a, there's a, Jesus tells a parable about a, about a woman that's just a pain in the neck to a judge. And he, and she just goes after this judge with an incredible tenacity. And finally the judge says, you know what? I don't care about God. I don't care about, about any human law, but you're just bugging the tar out of me. So I'm going to answer your request just to get rid of you. And, and Jesus says, how much more does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to you? And so that's my paradigm now. <laughs> so I, I go to God regularly and say, Lord, I want this, I want this healed. I want it resolved. I, I, I don't want to live with this for the rest of my life. But I also want you, to, if, if you choose for me to live with this for the rest of my life, then I want you to help me to understand it. I want, I want to know what I can learn going through this. It's, you know, I'm not the only one. I'm not the first. I won't be the last. You know, I could crawl up and just, you know, say, you know, nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm just going to go eat worms. Uh, or I can press on and do what I can do and trust in God's sovereignty. The alternative is to sit there and stew in my own self-pity. And that's where the root of bitterness can take root in our lives. And I'm going to tell you, that root of bitterness is ultimately going to destroy you. Reject that. There's something going on that is much greater than you and me. God has a plan, and that plan is unfolding. And we need to recognize that we are a part of that plan. We're not the plan. I mean, I can hear God say to me, David, I love you. And I sent my son to die for you. And, and, and I, you're an ordinary guy, but I think I could do some extraordinary things through you if you're faithful and obedient. But if you fall, I got somebody else over here. I have a plan, and that plan is going to come to fruition, and I want you to be a part of that plan, but you need to remember that you're not the plan. Well, gee, that's a little humbling. Yeah, you think? You think? When you talk about the... Uh, uh, and then there's this whole thing at the end here about, uh, uh, about Esau and, and, and the selling of his, of his birthright and whatnot as a description of a person who was ruled by his appetites. And you think of the seven deadly sins, and you know some of them are uh, uh, sins of appetite, some are, are sins of being too easily angered, some are, are sins of the corruption of the mind. We have to think so clearly in this day and age because of the challenges that we face. Because there is a lot of misinformation going on in the world today. And if you stand up against it as a Christian, you're going to get hammered. Who wants to get hammered? Yes, Joe wants to get hammered. So he's going to be at the tip of the spear and we'll all line up behind him and move forward. Go, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Half hour here, he'd say, go, go, go. Joe, Joe, Joe. Okay. Um, and, and the one thing that's just everywhere, I mean, you, you can't turn anywhere today without hearing somebody talk about critical race theory. And, and uh, critical race theory, uh, 
my wife Jody is, is, is putting together a seminar that we're going to put on this summer, probably in July, uh, comparing uh, critical race theory with uh, the Christian worldview. So if you're interested in that, let me know. Send me an email. We'll put you on the distribution list so that you could get in. But here, here's, here's a little bit how this works. I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to answer me yes or no. Okay? I, yes or no. Do you still beat your neighbor? Okay, thank you. Thank, the honest woman over here. Thank you, counselor. You know, so it's a... It's a yeah, I've, I've, yeah, Joe's, Joe's her neighbor. Okay, well, you guys can settle that. The, the point is, understand that the question is a false dichotomy. It's not an either-or. But if I present it to you as an either-or and make you make a choice, and, and that's part of what's going on with critical race theory. If you are not being oppressed then you're an oppressor. It's not that simple, people. But the voices out there are so strong today that we as Christians are shirking back because we don't want to get hammered, unless our name is Joe. This is our time. The hammer's going to fall. But in that falling, we're being shaped partly by God, to fit into this mosaic that he, is, that he is constructing. Some of it's from the enemy. I can't be worried about that because I want to keep my eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of my faith who for the glory and the joy set before him endured the cross. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. How many of you uh, remember the Red Bull aerial races out over the bay? Man, that was that cool. I love those races. And, and those guys, uh, they, they compete to win. Uh, but they've got to be very, very careful in how they handle uh, that, that plane. And for those of you, I think everybody basically knows this, that pilots uh, use two means uh, to navigate. There are two sets of rules out there. When you first get your license, it's all based on visual flight rules. Uh, but then as you advance, you get an instrument rating. And actually, the two together is the best way to fly. We are in a race, people. And those that focus just on the visual sometimes can get disoriented and lose their way and crash and burn. But those that recognize and keep an eye on the instrument as well as the visual are the ones that succeed and finish the race well. Maybe not in first place, but they finish that race. And if you finish this race, you win. We have our eyes. God's word is our instrument. And if we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, regardless of the hardship, the twists, the turns, the ups and downs, the successes and the failures, if we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, we will not only finish this race, but we will win this race and we will do it well.